0: Hi, everyone. Uh, Our first Bible reading for tonight is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, from verse 8. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favour, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads. And my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast, and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Your children hasten back, and those who laid you waste depart from you. Lift up your eyes and look around. All your children gather and come to you. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, you will wear them all as ornaments. You will put them on like a bride.
1: Thanks, Megan. So our second Bible reading tonight is from Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 to 36. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, But your disciples do not fast. Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you, and the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said, go away, the girl is not dead but asleep, but they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through all the region. As Jesus went on from here, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks,
2: Megan. Thanks, David. Let's want to keep your barbers open there and I will pray for us. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your life-giving, life-transforming word. Father, we gather tonight as people who need you, who long for you to speak to us, to encourage us, to rebuke us, to correct us. Father, you know each one of us so intimately and so individually. So by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you speak the word that we need to hear. And we ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want to focus tonight on, on three questions. And I think these are three questions that every human being asks at some point in their life. Here they are. Does God see? Does God care? And is God able? Does God see me? Where are you, God? Are you there for me, God, or am I all alone? Does God care? What kind of God are you? Are you a God who feels my pain, who feels my problems? Do you really care for me, God? And God, are you able? Are you powerful enough to actually change this situation? Does God see, does God care, and is God able? Uh, Those three questions are actually so intertwined. If God doesn't see me, if God isn't there for me, If in my darkest of moments God is absent and I'm all alone, then what is the point of my faith? When the tough times come, if God doesn't see me, I'm just expected to suck it up and cope, am I? I want a God who sees me and is there for me and knows me. Does God care? What kind of God is he? Is he just this almighty omnipotent distant god who's looking on from afar he sees me but he's all-powerful but he's not loving and not kind and not i don't want that kind of god i want a god whose heart aches for me he's loving he's kind he's tender he's he's compassionate that's the god that i want now, it's nice that God is kind and tender and loving. That's lovely. That's heartwarming. But I want more than that. I actually want a God who is able and powerful to change the situation. Now let me, let me say, if you've never asked these questions, there'll come a time in your life when your perfect plans fail and your perfect life unravels there comes come a time when you face heartache and burdens and you're broken and you're in pain and you will cry out, God, do you see me? God, you care for me? And God, are you able? And in those moments, Matthew chapter 9 will be a beautiful chapter for you. Because in this chapter, Jesus says, I see you and I know you and I care for you and I'm able to help you. It's a brilliant chapter. Open your your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. And Jesus meets all these different people. He's met a a paralysed man and he he heals him. He meets a a tax collector called Matthew and he says, follow me. He meets these Pharisees and he challenges them about their religiosity. And then he meets this this powerful synagogue ruler and his dead 12-year-old daughter. He meets a bleeding woman who has been an outcast for 12 years. He meets a blind man who's been marginalised and mocked. He meets a demon-possessed man who is also mute. And then this massive crowd. So you've got all these different people. Different people, different backgrounds, different needs. But deep down they're all the same. Because deep down they're just human beings facing a particular need or particular problem. Because they're all broken. They're all burdened. They're all distressed and desperate for help. Just like every single person I'm staring at right now. Because let's be honest. Let's quit the pretence. Let's get rid of the facades. Take off your mask. Each one of us are burdened and broken and distressed and desperate if we would just actually admit it. So we're going to focus on verses 18 to 26, the story of the synagogue ruler and the bleeding woman. But we're going to do that by looking deeply into just one verse. Matthew 9 verse 36 says this, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I love that word compassion. It's such a beautiful word. Jesus' heart went out to people in need. That's that's too weak. The word word compassion is actually the word gut-wrenching bowels. And what this verse is saying is when Jesus sees anyone in need, he's got this gut-wrenching, deep-seated longing and desire to help that person. He's just overwhelmed with love and compassion and tenderness for that person. Do you ever think of Jesus like that? Just read your Bibles When he fed the 5,000 people, he had compassion. And when he fed the 4,000, he had compassion. When he healed the leper, he had compassion. The widow of none, he had compassion. When he went to Gethsemane, he was full of compassion. That is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is not just omnipotent. He's compassionate. Why did Jesus leave heaven and come to earth? What prompted him to go from city to city? What propelled him to, to seek out the lost? What moved him to go to the cross with all the shame and the pain? And the answer isn't duty. The answer is compassion. He sees every man and every woman and every boy and every girl, and his heart aches for them. Do you think of Jesus like that? I've got three simple points tonight. Here's the first Jesus sees. Jesus sees. Look at that verse again, when when Jesus saw the crowds. Let's just stop there. That that word saw, it literally means he had eyes for them. Not not just seeing them visually, but actually he saw them as individuals. That's extraordinary. In this sea of faces, different people, different needs, Jesus sees every single human being. Some people had physical needs they were sick some people had financial needs they were poor some people had relational needs they were they were lonely some people had emotional needs or theological needs and other people might not have seen them but Jesus always did i like to imagine Jesus on a packed peak hour train in sydney and he sees every single person on that train now Jesus did not walk around on earth with his his head stuck in his iPhone. He lifted his eyes and he saw real people. He didn't care what clothes they were wearing or what car they drove or what gadgets they had. He cared about their needs, their physical, emotional, relational, spiritual needs. He saw them. And that means Jesus sees you. He's not oblivious to whatever burdens you're carrying right now. More than that, he sees you as you really are. Forget the facade, strip off the mask, quit the pretense. I know that we like to pretend that we are successful and significant or we are comfortable and we are capable, but we're not. What what words does Jesus use to describe all people? Look at the verse. He had compassion because they were harassed and helpless. A better translation is they were distressed and dispirited. Har- harassed is actually a beautiful word. It means that you are troubled, you are vexed, you are burdened, you are weighed down by stress and sadness, you are confused or in pain or, or, or lonely. And again, I think it's a pretty good description of people, don't you? We're all harassed. It's called living in a broken world. And we're helpless. The word there means powerless to rescue, powerless to help yourself. The word is actually cast down. And it's a farming word. So if you ever see a sheep, not that we go to the country, we you ever see a sheep and it's on its back and all four legs are in the air, that's what it means to be cast down. Now what you might not know is that physiologically, sheep's, sheep if they're in that position, it's impossible for a sheep to turn itself upright again. It's actually physically impossible for a downcast sheep to get itself back on its feet again. It's in danger. It's vulnerable. It needs a hand to get up again. That's how Jesus sees people. Burdened broken, harassed, helpless. Like, like sheep without a shepherd, he says. He looks at people and says, you all need guidance, you all need direction, you're all in danger of wandering, you're all in danger of getting lost in life. Now, if you, if you know your Bibles, that, that phrase sheep without a shepherd comes regularly in the Old Testament. Numbers 27, 1 Kings 22, Ezekiel 34. God had appointed leaders, to shepherd the flock and these human leaders were supposed to be kind but they were cruel they were supposed to be tender but they were terrible they were harsh and abusive And, and Jesus looks at this crowd and says what these people really need is a good shepherd who will care for and lead his sheep so that's how Jesus sees people so is that how you see yourself? Can I say, if you don't have the humility to come before God and say, God, I'm not successful, and I'm not significant, and I'm not capable, I'm not comfortable, I'm harassed, I'm helpless, I'm a sheep without a shepherd. If you haven't done that, you're missing out on experiencing and encountering an intimacy with God. I think way too many Christians are way too self-sufficient because they think they're a somebody. It's a beautiful description. Jesus sees. He sees your needs. I come back to verse 18. While Jesus was saying this, a synagogue leader came. We know from Mark's gospel, his name is Jairus. And he knelt before Jesus. That's a sign of Respect, yes, but it's also a sign of desperation. Uh, th- this is a man who had power, a position, and influence. But believe me, church, there comes a time in everyone's life when all the money and all the power, all the power in the world can't help you. There comes a time when you hit rock bottom. Uh, this man has hit rock bottom because we're told in verse 18, His daughter has just died. And again, you know, from Mark's gospel, she was 12 years old. Can you imagine that? A 12-year-old daughter is dead. You don't have to persuade this man that he is helpless. He has this gut-wrenching grief, and he can't fix this. He can't change this. He can't handle this. But Jesus can. And so he comes to Jesus in verse 18 and says, Please come, Jesus. Please put your hand on her, and I believe she will live. That's extraordinary faith, isn't it? He believes that Jesus has a power not just to heal, but to raise her from the dead. And Jesus sees him. He got up and he bothered to go with this man. Because he's desperate. You ever been desperate to get so in a in a hurry? It was almost seven years ago, it was November the 24th at 12.30 p.m. And I was in the office over there, I got a phone call from North Shore Hospital to say, get here within half an hour, we're performing an emergency C-section, your son's about to be born. 30 minutes to get to North Shore Hospital, you'd think that was easy. Except the traffic was just awful, and there was this red Skoda. (laughs) That was driving so slow. And then she, they, they did a, a right. <laughs> they did a right hand turn, except they didn't. I was going, come on, come on. I think that's how Jairus felt. He is desperate for Jesus to get to his dead daughter. But Jesus sees somebody else in need. And when he sees somebody in need, he can't help but stopped to help them. Verse 20, just a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Can you imagine that? Menstrual bleeding, constantly bleeding for 12 long years, and just so you realize, she would be ceremonially unclean. According to Leviticus 15, she's an outcast. She didn't belong anywhere. She couldn't go anywhere. She should have stayed at home. She certainly could not do anything remotely religious. And I imagine she tried everything, doctors, healers, Dr. Google, but no one could help her. But she comes to Jesus because she believes Jesus can help her, and he can. Verse 21. She said to herself, if I can only touch his cloak, I will be healed. That's amazing faith. But I love verse 22. Look at verse 22. Jesus turned and he, what's the word there? He saw her. He saw a woman that the world ignored. He saw a woman who had nothing and felt a nobody. But Jesus saw her. Amongst the masses, amongst the crowd, he gave this woman his undivided attention. So do you believe that Jesus, Jesus saw the single ruler, he saw, he saw the bleeding woman, and he sees you. I, I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what pain you are bearing, what burdens you are carrying, but please never ever think you're alone. There are times, aren't there, where you feel like no one cares and no one sees. But Jesus does. One of my favourite verses this year has been Isaiah 41, verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. Jesus sees my pain, he sees my distress, he sees my hurt, he sees my heartache. He sees everything. Number two, he cares. Jesus cares. I love this quote from Rosaria Butterfield. Great name, Rosaria Butterfield. It's a good English name. It says this: uh, compassion means entering the suffering of another in order to lead the way out. Think about that. Compassion means entering the suffering of another in order to lead the way out. It's not just seeing a need; it's entering that need. It's not just seeing a problem; it's having a heart for the person. Look at verse 36 again, when Jesus saw the crowd, he's not thinking, I hate cries, or who are these people? No, he has compassion on them. Uh, literally, it's, he, he was moved with compassion. He felt something. But when Jesus sees people suffering, or sad, or, or grieving, or groaning, when he, he sees arrogant religious people doing damage to people, he hates that. He doesn't blame people for their mess. He just feels compassion. Francis Schaeffer said this, A biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. I Love that quote. Biblical orthodoxy without compassion is the ugliest thing in the world. You can have your head stuffed with the right theology. You can know all these truths about God, but if you see someone in need and you're not moved by that, then something is profoundly wrong in your faith. Because our Lord Jesus cares for people. Verse 22 is one of my favorite verses. Jesus turned and saw this outcast woman. And he spoke to her, verse 22, he says, Take heart, daughter. Just stop at that word, daughter. Can you imagine what she felt like hearing that word? Daughter. I'm guessing no one had really called her daughter for a very long time because she was a total outcast, full of shame. But just like Jairus had a daughter that he cared for, so Jesus said to this woman, you are now my daughter and I'm going to care for you. You matter to me, you belong to me, I love you, you're part of my family now. And Jesus will not allow this woman to be a second-class citizen. He will not allow her to live in her shame, feeling guilty or feeling unworthy. He cares for her dignity. He cares for her worth. He cares for her identity. And I hope you believe that about Jesus. He really cares for you. Now, Christians might not care for you. Christians might just make you feel even more guilty and more shame. We're good at that. And friends might fail you, but they may not care for you. And you might not care for yourself. But Jesus cares. 1 Peter 5, cast all your cares on him because he cares. The reason you can cast your cares on Jesus is because he really cares for you. Please never doubt God's care. Open your eyes to all the ways he is caring for you, the person he's put in your life, the the way he's provided for you, the text that you receive, he's going to carry that burden for you. Now here's where it stings. Because if Jesus cares for people, and if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, then we must care, mustn't we? we? We cannot call ourselves Christian and see somebody in need and not care for them. John Stott said this, that the truth is that there is such a thing as Christian tears, but too few of us ever weep them. There is such a thing as Christian tears, but too few of us ever weep them. And I just wonder whether we here on the Lower North Shore have become hardened to other people's burdens. We're so focused on ourselves and our problems, we don't really care for the needs of others. Or actually, no, it's worse than that. We we're very happy to outsource care. We can pay for somebody else to care for them, but it might inconvenience me if I have to care for that person. You know, when you come to church on a Sunday and and you you sit and you bother to listen to somebody and you. You hear what they are facing, you hear what they are carrying. You cannot not be moved by that. And when you think of the people in your lives who are lost in their sin and they haven't yet discovered the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, you can't help but be moved by that. That famous quote, "People don't care what you know until they know what you care, know that you care." People don't care what you know until they know that you care. Please don't shovel the gospel down people's throat without people knowing that you care for them. There was a a missionary in Tunisia, in North Africa, and she went there to to witness to Jesus Christ, to the Muslim community. But as is often the case, it was really hard, slow work. There was one young boy who came to learn English every single week. And this Christian lady taught him English every week and shared the gospel, but he just didn't want to know about Jesus. He's about to turn 18, his last English lesson. He's about to head off to university, and she gives it one last shot. She explains the gospel so clearly, and he says, I don't want to know. And so he hugs her goodbye, and he walks down her garden path. He stops at the gate. And he turns, look at his teacher one last time. And he sees this woman, this Christian woman, in floods of tears and she is sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And he said, that's when I realised how deeply she cared for me. And so he turned round, went back into the house, sat down again, heard the gospel and gave his life to Christ. (laughs) People don't care what you know until they know that you care. Jesus cared, and we must care. This deep-seated, gut-wrenching, heartfelt, loving compassion towards people. Number three, Jesus is able. Jesus is able, he's powerful. Because compassion isn't just seeing it, or feeling it, or talking about it. Compassion means doing something about it. I hope you know the difference between compassion and pity. Pity is when you see it and you feel it, and you go, "Oh, that's a shame, that's a shame." But compassion is when you take that pity and you do whatever you can, whatever's within your means, to actually help that person. That is compassion, and that's what Jesus did. He wasn't just moved; he he was moved to action. And so when he sees the, the bleeding woman, he says, your faith has healed you. Your faith, not, not touching the cloak, but her faith had healed her. And instantaneously, miraculously, he performed a miracle. The woman's ecstatic. Jairus is desperate. A quick aside, I, I do think sometimes God needs to take you to the place of utter, Utter desperation until you really do believe that only God is powerful and able to help. Well, Jairus is desperate, verse 23. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house, that's Jairus' house, he saw this noisy crowd and people playing pipes. He's at a funeral service. Unlike Sydney funerals that are polite and reserved, Middle Eastern funerals were loud. There was wailing, there was shouting, there was guttural grief. And Jesus says, verse 24, go away. The girl isn't dead, but she's asleep. I wouldn't recommend saying that at a funeral. Either he's mad, insensitive, or he has the power to help. Now here's the miracle, verse 25. After the crowd had been put outside to dampen down the Masonic expectation, Jesus went inside. He took the girl, just touched her, took her by the hand, and, and she got up. That is powerful, isn't it? Not just woke up, but she got up. Not just roused her, but resurrected her. That is the power of Jesus Christ. Come down to verse 28. These these blind men, he asked the question, do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you? Do you believe that Jesus Christ has the the power to heal the sick, to give sight to the blind, to make the lame walk again, to even raise the dead? If, If he can do that then surely, surely he can carry your burden and fix your problems. Now, he he might not do that. He might choose not to do that, but please don't question his power to do it. Now, I think we're really good at, at quoting that famous verse in Ephesians 3, that our God is able to do more than we ask or imagine. Actually, that's not right. The verse says, God is able to do immeasurably more than you ask or imagine. Do you believe that? Okay, here's the litmus test. This Wednesday, we have a special central prayer meeting. It's called a healing service. And most Sydney Anglicans go, "Whoa, healing. <laughs> but the reality is that Jesus has the power to hear your emotional, your physical, and your spiritual needs. Do you believe that? Because if you do, please don't sit at home on Wednesday night at 7.45 watching Netflix. Come here. Be open, be vulnerable, be expectant, and ask God for healing. Now, he might choose not to, but please don't doubt his power to do it. Now sometimes God wants to use you and me to show his power. He wants us to be his hands and his feet to help people. You know, on that table over there, there is pictures of little boys and girls who live in Indonesia. Can you imagine living on $2 a day for your entire family? Yesterday I bought a long black It cost me $5.50. That's the price of coffee these days. $5.50 for a long black. For the price of three long blacks per week, I could release a kid from poverty in Jesus' name. We as a family have four sponsor kids, one child for each biological child. Why not five? Here in Sydney, we have abundance. And maybe it's our wealth that's going to, that God is going to use tonight to show his power to provide food, education, and bring the gospel into the lives of these people in need. Please don't ignore that table tonight. But it's not just Jesus' desire to meet their surface needs. Actually, Jesus had a deeper desire. He wants to meet our spiritual needs. See that verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and all the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. That sounds utterly exhausting. He went around teaching and preaching and proclaiming the gospel and healing anybody he saw in need. This is really important because it's not just about physical healing or emotional healing. It's about people's deepest needs. And their deepest needs is not just their sickness, but their sin. It's not just their troubles, but it's all the ways they ignore God. And we are like a sheep without a shepherd. But Jesus steps into the world and says, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for my sheep. I will die for my sheep. That's the kind of shepherd that we need. One of my favorite verses is Matthew chapter 11 it says, Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest for your soul. It was 32 years ago. 32 years ago, I first came to Jesus Christ. And I lay all my burdens, and all my brokenness, and all my shame, and all my sin at the foot of the cross. And I experienced a, a peace and a pardon and a freedom and a forgiveness like I've never felt before. Now here's a confession. I have to do that every single day. Every single day I come back to the cross and I lay down my brokenness, I lay down my burdens, I lay down my sickness, I lay down my shame, I lay down my sin. And every day I experience my Lord Jesus Christ a a peace and a pardon and a forgiveness and a freedom. Because I know that he sees me. I know he cares for me. And I know that only he is able to help me. So does God see? You bet he does. Does God care? In bucket loads. Is God able? Immeasurably more than you ask or imagine. Let me pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you care. And I invite you now, where you are, just to come before the Lord and lay down a burden or a brokenness, a shame or a sickness or a sin. We say thank you, Lord Jesus, that you see us and you care for us and you are able. We praise you, Lord
0: Jesus.